1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go there once again with me. We have been in a series here at Legacy Church for a number of weeks now, since the beginning of this year. The Lord's talking to us about the growth of our church and His plan for our growth. And I'm telling you guys, there is plenty of information out there in the world. If you want to learn how to grow a church, grow a business, grow something, you can find somebody's book, you can find somebody's program, and for $129.99, it can be yours. And You know, I'm not knocking that. There's probably a lot of good information out there. But um, there's a book that I found, and... Uh, it didn't cost me $129.99. Uh, I have total access to it. And there is a plan in the pages of this book for our growth, the growth of this house, the growth of your house, our financial growth, your financial growth, the growth of our relationships, our healing, everything we have need of. You can find it right here in this book. And I believe the Spirit of God has a growth plan and track for this church, but you've got to find it in His Word. And I believe we found it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've looked at these verses a number of times. I want to look at once again. Start in verse 12 with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He said, for as the body has many members. Go ahead and say it again. Many members. That's where my faith is set for this church. Legacy Church is a body with what? Many members. But all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but how many? Many. If the foot should say, wouldn't that be funny if your feet could talk, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? What's he saying? No, your foot doesn't get to decide that. He said in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, which would be quite a sight, where would, the, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. Why is your body put together the way it is? Why are your hands where they are, your feet where they are, your eyes and your ears and your nose? Why are these parts, these members in the location they are, because that's where it pleased God to put them. This body is a masterpiece. It's a marvel of machinery that only a good God could put together. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's womb. But he said in uh, verse 19, if they, all, if they were all one member, where would the body be? Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Say that with me. There are many members, yet one body. Now it's a good thing for you and I to be in faith about the growth of the church and the Lord bringing to us the people that he's called to be here and a part of this family. And listen, if today's your first time with us, you may not know this, but we've been praying for you. We actually prayed and asked the Lord to send you to us weeks ago, and you're an answer to our prayer. We're believing God that he's bringing to us the ones that he's called to be a part of this family. He's the God of increase, and it is his will that we increase in, in this area and any area of our lives. But more important than us being a church with many members is that we be a church that functions like one body. I'm telling you, God doesn't really care how many members we are if all we are is a room full of body parts. 
what, what touches his heart is when the parts get connected and begin to function as one body. Now, last week we left off talking about these divine connections in the same way that every part of the human body, my body, your body, the same way that each individual part is ultimately connected to the head, that's what he says we're like in the body of Christ. We are all connected to the head who is Jesus. And I don't know how many of you are here. Can I see a hand of those of you who were here with us last Sunday? You might remember this. I stood right here. I stood right here and I, and I stood just like this. And I pointed to the little toe on my right foot. And I said, that little toe, even though it looks like it's the furthest part from the head, is directly connected to my head. Now, that doesn't make sense because we think about connection and you would think, well, there, there would have to be a toe sticking out of your forehead. But no, that's not where it pleased God to put it. Somebody say, thank God. It pleased him to put that part right there. But we looked at the scripture that talked about these relationships, these divine connections in our lives. And one of the ways we identify a divine connection, a God relationship, that's somebody who helps keep you connected to the head. That's what the Bible says, I believe, in the book of Colossians chapter 2. you got to watch out for people that are not, what he said was, holding fast to the head. Don't let these people in your life that sever your connection with Jesus. In the same way that this little toe is connected to the head through a series of so-called divine connections... It's divinely connected to the other bones in my feet, which is divinely connected to my ankle, which is divinely connected to whatever this thing's called, and divinely connected to this part and that part and this part and the spine and the shoulders and the neck. And through a series of relationships, this part that looks like it's the furthest from the head has direct connection. These divine connections that the Lord has put into our life. Well, I got to tell you what God did for me this week. On Wednesday, I preached that to you Sunday. On Wednesday, I had been asked to go minister up at Karis Bible College. I got any Karis people in here today? I was ministering in healing school. They have healing school on Wednesday afternoons. And I've ministered there before, and I was going to do it again. And uh, it's star, it supposed to serve a start about, what is it, 1 o'clock or so? Something like that. Well, at 11.30, I'd spent the morning in prayer and study, got a word from the Lord. As a matter of fact, I was going in there that day to throw a praise party. You know, when you're believing God for healing, one of the last things your body wants to do is get up and praise the Lord. But it's one of the first things you need to do is get up and praise the Lord. And we've talked in here, about, in here before about how you turn a little bit into a lot. You remember that? How Jesus turned a little lunch into a meal that fed thousands. How'd he do that? Well, he took what the little boy had and all we know that Jesus did was look up, bless it, and give thanks for it. He didn't, he didn't cry. He didn't show God how little it was. He didn't sweat it. He, he looked up. He blessed it. He gave thanks for it. And now thanksgiving for what you have is how you turn what you have into more. What little you have. And that same principle applies to financial things. It applies to relational things. And it certainly applies to healing. Even if your body's in pain, 
If you still got a heart beating, you got some life in there. And maybe it's just a little bit of life, but all you need to do is turn that little bit of life into more life. Well, how do you do that? You give thanks for what you've got. So I'm getting ready to go in there and preach this message, right? I'm stirred up about it. I've spent the last several hours thinking about this. So I'm looking at the clock. I got a little bit behind. Uh, so I'm moving in a hurry, right? I'm, I'm going to get ready, and I'm moving quickly because I'm going to have to leave the house in about a half hour. Well, I'm walking through the house. I don't have, I think I had socks on. I mean, other stuff too, but nothing else, <laughs> nothing else on my feet. And I'm moving quick, man. And I, I walk into the hallway that leads back to our master area, and I turn around and shut it. And as soon as I turn back around, and I'm moving full speed, that toe, <laughs> the one I preached about, that whole message that was all about the pain of dislocation and what happens when a divine connection is separated through offense or through a falling out, the pain of dislocation and how you and I have got to divinely protect these connections, right? I turn walking 60 miles an hour or so, and we've got a wall, a place where a wall comes together, a corner in our hallway there, and there's like this two-inch crown molding that comes off the bottom of it, and that toe, man, caught the corner of that crown molding, and I shouted. Now, I've stubbed my toe before, and you have too. And it's in those moments you are thankful. There's not a camera crew or a <laughs> recording device nearby. But I'm going to tell you what I shouted. And I was so glad I shouted this. I hit that thing. I heard that pop. I knew when I did it, this ain't good. I reached down and I grabbed it and I shouted, Jesus, thank you for the other nine. <laughs> I'm, tell I'm telling you the truth. Sarah was laying in bed. She was studying. She said, what's going on? I said, Jesus, thank you for the other nine. Now, I've hit my toe before, and that is not what I said. But this past week, that's what I said. Thank you for the other nine. There's power in that, church. How easily we get so focused on the one thing that hurts. And when you got literally one of the smallest parts in the body screaming... It's not just that part that's hearing it. The whole rest of the body's hearing it. And it's so easy to get so centered and so focused on that. But what I need right now is not to be more aware of pain. I need to take what little healing I've got and multiply that so I get thankful for what I've got. Nine toes that work just fine. Thank you very much. But I've stubbed my toe before, and you have as well, and it hurts for a second, right? I mean, it really, it really stings for a second. And then it goes away. So I'm getting ready, and I thought, okay, yeah, surely it's good. I reached down and move it, and it was not, the pain was not going away. I felt that thing go through me. I felt it starts to sting. You get that kind of nauseous feeling. I knew in the moment, watch what you say. Watch what you say. I came into the bedroom, and Sarah goes, what happened? And this is exactly what it is. She's behind me. I said, no. No, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. I'm a healed man. And she and I both know that when we respond like that, drop it, leave it. I'm not going to press her and say, oh, no, tell me. 
tell me. She's not pressing me to try to get me to vocalize what's wrong. Nope, no, 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 no. Can't talk about it right now. And I could barely, barely walk, barely get dressed. I thought, I better put a shoe on to see how that's going to go. That did not work. So with the 20 minutes I had left before I had to leave, I got an ice pack. I've got it wrapped up. I had this giant ice pack on my foot. I said, Sarah, do you think anybody will notice today if I go to <laughs> healing school? She's like, yeah, I think they might. So I found the only shoes I had with kind of a wide toe and put those on and I made it to the truck. Jordan was driving me that day and we got out at Karis. And I'm telling you, I could barely get from the truck to the door. He said, what is going on? Do you need me to carry you? Do you want a piggyback ride? <laughs> I said, I'm a healed man. I'm a healed man. Priscilla, I saw you right when I walked in the door. And she said, what is going on? What I say? I'm a healed man. I'm a healed man. Checked in, and I get, get down to the front row, and I'm supposed to get up there and preach in just a second. They call me up. I managed to get up the stairs. And I stood there, and I preached about the next hour. And this is one of the things I love about preaching. Whatever hurt before you started just goes away. And so I preached to that congregation for the next hour or so, just about being thankful, throwing a praise party, taking the life we've got and multiplying it through our thanksgiving. And we just shouted and praised. And by the end of that service, I was on that platform, praising and jumping and glorifying God. It was a miracle. The devil came for that toe, man. I'm thankful I didn't preach about my nose or something. He came for that toe. He came for that toe, but he couldn't have it. And I got home, and I took my shoe off, and it was one of the most beautiful colors of purple and shades of red and underscored by tones of black. And I thought, man, what have I done? but I would not let myself say the word broke. The Lord just told me, don't even say the word. Don't say the word. And in a very short amount of time, that swelling went down. It was, it was a pretty color, but I just walked around the house making up songs. Thank you, Lord, for the healing of my toe. Thank you, Lord, for the healing of my teeny tiny toe. Is this what I was doing? This is what I was doing. I wrote a second verse, purple is a pretty color too. <laughs> but he has been helping me all week long, and I don't know what all happened in it, but I know I'm a healed man. And, I, and it was a, such a perfect demonstration to me of what we've been talking about in here. Every part being in its place. I mean, talk about the pain of dislocation. It makes you never want to disconnect. It makes you never want to unhook from these God-divine connections in your life. Amen? I just want to give my glory story. He helped me. In the few minutes that we have this morning, I want to back up to the beginning of this chapter. And this is something I've wanted to get to for a little while, but we just couldn't until we laid some foundation. But I want to read some things that the Spirit of God said through Paul before he began talking about the body, he, he mentioned some other things. Just start with me in verse 1 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And it seems like two very distinct and different subjects. 
but they go so beautifully together. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Is it possible to be ignorant about spiritual gifts? Yeah, you could be ignorant about these gifts, <laughs> totally lacking any information and insight into them at all. Or you could be totally ignorant thinking you know something about them, but maybe you got bad information or religious information. And Paul's writing to them saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about these spiritual gifts. He said, you know that you Gentiles were carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 4. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now he's going to say this several times, but I want you to connect it to what we've already heard him say about the body. He said about the body, there are many members, but one body. This is exactly what he's saying about the gifts. There are diversities of gifts, or you could say there are a lot of gifts, but the same spirit, one spirit. Verse 5, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Can you see what he's saying here? It's the exact same concept that we've already read about the body. Many members, one body. The, the one body is not one member, it's many members. But all those members make up one body. He's saying the same thing about the gifts. There are a lot of gifts. There are diversities of gifts. There are diversities of ministries. There are diversities and differences in administrations, he says. But they all come from the same God. Many members, one body. Many gifts, one spirit. Do you see the connection? But look at what he says in verse 8. Or excuse me, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now he goes on in these next few verses to talk about these different manifestations of the Spirit. He said, to one's given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, listen to this, as He wills. So what he's saying here, before he gets into talking about the body and the members and the parts of the body, is he talks about the gifts. So how do these two things connect? Well, the same way each individual part of the body has a function, has a grace, if you will, it provides a service, but it's a service that benefits the whole body. Your hand is capable of doing things that no other part on your body can do. And thank God for what it can do. Because what this is able to do when it's functioning the way it's supposed to, when it's operating in its place, in the grace that comes with that place, it benefits the whole body. Your whole body is thankful 
for what this hand can do. This hand is able to reach out and lay hold of food. This hand is able to reach out and lay hold of whatever it is you need and bring it into you, and that benefits the whole body. And he's comparing the, the functions of the body and the parts when they're in their place doing what they're graced to do. He's saying the same thing goes on in the body of Christ. These different gifts, these different manifestations of the Spirit. And he said, each one has been given a gift. There is not a part in the body that is not gifted. I'm not a medical professional. I don't claim to be one. Never even played one on TV. But I do know from the Word of God about the body and what a precious gift it is and that, like we've said, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, which makes me kind of pause sometimes when the first thing, and I'm not judging or condemning doctors or any of that. We love doctors. Pray for doctors. Thank God for people who are called into that profession. But it seems like, let me say it like that, that more and more these days, you go in for a visit and you say, this hurts, and they say, well, we can cut it off. Has anybody else experienced that? One of the first lines of thinking anymore is, well, let's just cut it out. Let's just cut that part off. Let's just cut that part out. And I'm not saying they, everybody's like that, but I feel like I'm hearing more and more stories these days about having this removed and that removed and having this part done away with. And well, you, you know, you don't really need that. I, can't, I have this sneaking suspicion. I need that part. There's a reason God put it in there. Even if I've never seen it, I've never felt it, even if I didn't even know I had it till you told me something was wrong with it, I got a feeling I need it. This is not time to like cut me open and tinker around and see what we can find. And I am not your old truck where you just throw parts out of it. What is that? I don't know. We don't need that. I think you might. I think you might want that. What am I telling you? Every part, somebody say every part, has a gift. It's a gift of the Spirit. Every part has a grace. Every part performs a function that benefits the whole body. Every part. Now, when you study this word gifts, these spiritual gifts, I love this study because the word gifts is the word charisma. Charisma. Well, what word do you see as the root of charisma? Let me say it like this. Charisma. It's grace. These gifts of the Spirit are graces. And one of the main things the grace of God does for us, simply put, is help. It's help. You come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain help. God's grace is God's help. Somebody say it. I need help. You and I ought to live with a sign permanently around our neck. Help wanted. I want the help of the Holy Ghost. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you boys need help. I'm sending the helper. And God's grace is God's help. And all these manifestations, the gifts, the, the, the charismas of the spirit that he talked about, is essentially just the Holy Spirit in our presence saying, can I help you with that? Can I help you with that? 
And that's why I have declared before, and I will again today, and will a thousand times more. We are a charismatic church. Charismatic. What is that? That is a church that lets the Holy Spirit help. Because there are things you and I cannot do on our own that need to be done. Things that need to be said, things that need to be accomplished in the Spirit. And you could strive all day and night and not get it done. That's why the Holy Spirit's standing there going, hey, can I help you with that? Let me help you with that. And he goes through each one of these, and every one of them is the Holy Spirit saying, let me help. What is a word of knowledge? Well, that's something you could not know on your own. That's the Holy Spirit saying, let me help you with them. What's a word of wisdom? Now, I'm not going to take time today to to unpack all these gifts. It's an an amazing, wonderful study. I'm just wanting you to see, first of all, these are graces. They are gifts of his help. And they're things we desire, things we want, things we need, and things that operate in and through various parts of the body. It's this Holy Spirit saying, let me help you. Right on down through the list, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. He talks about faith. He talks about working of miracles. Oh, man, you ever tried to work a miracle by yourself? You're standing there trying to work a miracle, and the Holy Ghost says, can I help you with that? And you say, no, 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 I got this. (laughs) No, you don't. You don't got this. Oh, maybe you didn't know that. You don't got this. You need his help. You need it. But let me draw your attention to something. And this is so crucial. It's what he said in verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit. These gifts, these graces, this help in operation is given to each one, right? Every member, every part, for the profit of all. Now here's what we haven't totally understood about the gifts of the Spirit. And this is one of the areas that we as charismatic people, word people, faith people, Holy Ghost people, whatever you want to call us, I might say this is one of the areas we've been ignorant in concerning the gifts of the Spirit. We read through these Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, and working of miracles, and healing, and, and, and uh, different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Oh, man, prophecy. Prophecy is a big one right now. Have you noticed that? We got a lot of prophets these days. I'm not knocking that. I think a lot of it's probably good and wonderful, unless you're ignorant of what it actually means. But we see these different gifts in manifestation And we step back and we go, ooh, that's awesome. I want one. I want one. Because you see somebody you know and admire and respect, and you see them operating that, and you think, sweet. I want want one of those. And we start looking at the gifts of the Spirit like it's a catalog or a a menu of some kind. And you'll say, "Uh, Lord, I think I'll take a, uh, let me get a word of wisdom and some miracles, and, you know, just throw some prophecy in there as well. Thank you. I'll take that. But what did he say? He said these things work in the body as he wills. 
So they're not things for you and I to just necessarily order. Now, what you're going to see in a minute, he said, you do need to desire them. You do need to covet earnestly these gifts. But one of the reasons that I might say we've been ignorant about them is the temptation that we've had to look at them and think that the gift says something about the part that it's working through instead of the one who gave it. We think that gift in operation says something about that person as opposed to thinking that says something about God. And the temptation we have is to elevate people when we see these gifts working through them as opposed to magnifying God and the giver of the gift What it should tell you when you see that gift working through a body part, it should tell you, man, God will use anybody. (laughs) It should not make you elevate them to a place they shouldn't be. It should make you think, if God can use them, he can use me. But what we have to understand about the gifts is they are not given to that part for that part. Oh, man, I hope you hear this. I got just a few minutes, so I'm just going to say it plain. That gift is not given to that part for that part. The moment the part starts thinking the gift says something about them, they get lifted up in pride. The gift and the grace that God gave to this hand does not say something about the hand. It says something about the creator, the maker, and the wisdom he possesses to put it here instead of here or here or here. He sees where it belongs. He understands that that's the place for it. So I want to read this now. And I want to read it in a way that I think is going to help renew our minds to it. Somebody say this, for the profit of all. The gift is not through the part for the part. The gift is through the part for the profit of all. What this hand does, it does not for itself, but for the entire body. Is this making sense to you? This is some stuff I've never never really preached like this, so be in agreement with me. For the profit of all. So look back through these gifts, and I want to add that phrase, for the profit of all, After every one of these gifts, for example, he says, for to one or to one part is given the word of wisdom through the spirit for the profit of all. Can you see that? Go and say it with me. For the profit of all. So let's try that. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit for the profit of all. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit for the profit of all. To another, faith by the same Spirit. See, this is a big one. We have thought that our faith was just for our benefit. And that's not to say that your faith is not for your benefit. It absolutely is. Your faith and your trust in God absolutely will benefit your life. But what's he saying here? The gift of that faith working through you is not just for you. It's not just for your profit. It's for the profit of all. 
Come on, faith working through you is for this whole body to benefit, to profit from. It's for the profit of all. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. And who are those, those gifts of healings for? For the profit of all. Do you see what we're saying here? The same thing about working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues. Who are these things for? Oh, they're, they're so you look at that part and say, what a great part that is. They're so people see that part and magnify the part. No. The gift working through the part isn't just for the part. It's for the profit of all. That's a different way of thinking. I dare you to try to find many people in the world that are thinking that way. And sadly, that's a different mentality for coming to church. There are not a lot of people thinking that way as they go into churches and places. They are not thinking as they come in the doorway of that place, what am I here to do today? What gift is working in me and through me for these people's profit? It's not happening everywhere. As a matter of fact, the opposite is what's happening in many places. And I believe I can speak to this, not just as a pastor. I mean, we've been doing this for a couple of years, but I did the math the other day, and this sort of came and went in my life and didn't realize it, but I've been preaching full-time for over 20 years now and serving my parents in their ministry, my grandparents in their ministry. And I was there day one when my parents were new pastors of the church. And I watched as people would come and people would go, and man, I feel like I have heard just about everything and all the different reasons that people... Come, and then the different reasons that they go, they connect, they disconnect. And with most folks, if you, you say, well, well, where are you headed? If they've been there for a little bit and it's, now they're leaving, and, well, where are you headed? What's going on? Everything good? Usually it starts like this. God said. Which, when it starts like that, I'll just tell you as the, from the perspective of a pastor, it's hard to say much else. What am I going to tell you? No, we didn't. So when you start there and you play the God card, it sort of limits anybody else's influence or ability to speak into your life. But I've noticed before in years past and growing up around this, if you just stay with them long enough, tell me what's going on, what's on your heart, what are you doing? You stay with it long enough, it will go from God said this, and then you find out what's actually going on. You find out, well, I wasn't getting this here. I needed somebody to do this for me, and it wasn't happening. I didn't get this response. I didn't, I didn't find a friend. I didn't, I didn't find the ones I was looking for. And I, I've heard people say it for years. I mean, I'm going all the way back to my parents' church when, man, I remember it went from 200 to over 1,500 in a short amount of time. And people say, well, I can't find a friend. I'm like, there's 1,500 people in the room. Your inability to find a friend. You feel like that says something about these 1,500 people and nothing about you? But do you see that's different? That's a different mentality. I'm coming here for the profit of me. I'm coming here for the profit of my part. 
And these are red flags for us in ministry. We see this. When I start hearing people talk about my grace and my gift and my anointing, I just say, okay, okay. I didn't hear a lot of Jesus in that, but okay. And they start telling you, I need to be in that place, and I need to be in this place, and I need to be in that place. And then they decide to unhook, whether it's here or this is happening all day, every day in churches all over the world. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not thinking of any one person. Like I said, I've experienced this my whole life. But what they do is they disconnect and then they look for another place to go. And they're, they're looking for another place that would benefit their part and benefit them. And maybe they're there for a little bit. Then they find out, well, they, these people aren't doing this for me and those people aren't doing that for me. So they go to another one and they go to another one and they go to another one. Every time they connect and disconnect and connect and disconnect and connect and disconnect. And it hurts. And they end up seven, eight, ten years later thinking they're frustrated with God, thinking there's something wrong with church because they went to all these places and couldn't find what they were looking for, never stopping to think, what do all these places have in common? You. You're the only thing they all share in common. You could have one church that's totally different from this other church, and the only thing they've got in common is that this one person went to both of them and couldn't find anything they liked. That's what happens when the part is mindful of its gift for its benefit, for its profit. I grew up in uh, high school. Junior high, high school is when I started learning to play music. My dad was musical, and he and I would sit down at the piano, and I'd watch him play, and I loved it. And he began to teach me some things even earlier than that. But like in school, I started to learn music as a fifth grader, sixth grader. And I joined stage band playing alto saxophone. Wouldn't you like to see that? (laughs) Not going to happen. But I started learning to read music. And later on, I started playing guitar. And that's when I got in other bands, rock bands. The first band I was in as a freshman in high school was called Jimmy Carter and Me. And uh, every one of us had only been playing for a matter of days. So that should tell you how good that band was but learning music and learning to read music. And when I was in band in school, I would learn to read the sheet music that was in front of me. And as we got further into high school, there were times where the instructor would say things like, I need to work with the saxophones. We're working on a a, a whole piece, and everybody's got their part, and that's what they're called in music. It's called your part. But I'm going to work with these guys for a little bit. We work together for 15, 20. Oh, now I need to work with this part. And now I need to work with this section. But what happened was eventually every part would come together. And you'd form a symphony, which is the Greek word symphonia. This word prophet of all is the Greek word symphero. It's the same root that means together. And what would happen in music is you'd take this part, and you'd take this part, and you'd take this part, and they may be fine on their own, but they are something else when you put them together. And you are learning the part for the sake of the orchestra, for the sake of the symphony. And you may just be doing your part, but it ain't just for you. It's not just for you. It's not for the glory of the saxophones. It's for the betterment of the whole body, the whole band of which I was a member, a part. 
And as a saxophone player, I would study that part. One day I met a girl named Sarah Hart and found out she played music in high school too, but she was in the percussion section, which I thought, a girl drummer? Are you kidding me? There's nothing cooler than that. <laughs> but if you were to have taken that part, that percussion part, and put it in front of me, I wouldn't have known what it was saying. I wouldn't have known how to do it, how to perform it. I knew this part. And that's all I looked at was this part. But I remember going up to our, our director one time, and I saw what they were looking at. They had a podium just like this with a giant sheet of music on it. And on that sheet, that score sheet, was not just the saxophone part, but it was the woodwinds and the brass and the percussion and on down. You've got your flutes and clarinets and you've got French horns and trombones and every single part was in front of the director. Now the only thing in front of me was my part, but my director knew the significance of my part and the contribution it made to the whole. It boggled my mind to look at it because I was like, how do you even read this? How do you look at all these parts at the same time? And that makes me think of our Father. All you and I know is our part, right? But He sees how your part benefits the whole body. That's His perspective of it. And what we've stepped into as pastors is an anointing and a grace I've never experienced before. Or we don't see the whole body of Christ and everybody's part in it, but we see it for this place. And we see how the parts come together for the benefit of the body, for the profit of all. Which is why sometimes, I know some people, it, it can be frustrating for some people when, when leadership says, we want you in this place doing this part. Well, that's not my grace. That's not my grace. That's not my grace. Well, that might be true, but this is where the body needs you. This is the part that will profit not just you, but the whole thing. Now, let me just say this in closing. I know I've kept you a long time. I've got more to this, and maybe we'll pick up there next week. But he gets all the way through this chapter, and it's at the end of this where he says, you ought to desire these things, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And this is what Sarah preached to us in this series as well. But let me remind you of it before we go. 1 Corinthians 13, which for you Bible scholars comes right after 1 Corinthians 12. That's deep, right? <laughs> he says in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. What's he talking about? The gifts. He's talking about the gifts he just talked about in chapter 12. He said, if I've got this gift, this gift of speaking with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, he said, I'm become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Well, what is love? Love is acting, doing something, motivated, not by what you get out of it, but by what benefits others. That's love. So what's he saying? Even if I've got this gift, this gift of speaking of tongues of men and angels, but if I'm not going to use it for the profit of all, it's nothing. He said it's a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
if I were to have Colin crash that cymbal, which I'm not, but if I were, <laughs> just sit there and crash, 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 over and over and over for hours on end. Do you know how agitating, how aggravating, how nauseating that would become to you? That's somebody with a gift that's not motivated by the profit of all. That's a part trying to use their gift for the benefit of the part. That's like the hand saying, look at me, watch what I can do. As though it could do anything if it were disconnected. It can't. This is what love is. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy. Well, that's another one of these gifts. Oh, this is the one we like now. Oh, I got a word. I got a word for you. I got a prophetic word. I got a prophetic word about Trump. I got a prophetic word about the nation. I got a prophetic word about Democrats. Well, I got a prophetic word about Republicans. I got a prophetic word about this, that, and the other. Okay, fine. But even if you've got that gift... And even if you do understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and even if you do have all faith, there's another gift, so that you could remove mountains, but you're using that gift not for the profit of all, but for YouTube clicks and Facebook likes, for the profit of the vessel, for the profit of the part. He says you're nothing. Nothing. You could have these gifts but they're nothing if you don't understand that they're for the profit of all. And he said in here that there is not one part, go ahead, not one part in this body that doesn't have a gift. Which means I could go down every row and every person that's in any chair in this room and I could say, you have a gift and you and you and you and you and you and every one of you, I could say it with absolute confidence, you have a grace and a gift. And it could be one of these that he listed here. It could be something else. And I've been amazed to see these gifts in operation in our church. And, and I think sometimes people think, well, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, healing, all these things are supposed to happen between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. on a Sunday. And they can, and we're wide open to it. But how many times, sweetheart, has the Lord dealt with you on a Thursday afternoon and said, called our office and said, hey, call so-and-so. Something's going on. They're needing prayer. Well, that's a word of knowledge. That's a gift working. But it is not so that Sarah or me or any of these others of our staff or leadership it's not so that we can be seen. It's certainly not so that it's for our profit. It's for the profit of the body. It's for the benefit of the body. Here's how you know if you're doing what you're doing in love. Are you doing it to be seen so that attention is drawn to you? Or is it for the profit of all? He goes on here in 1 Corinthians 13 to tell you what love is and what love is not. And he said one of the things love is not and one of the things love does not do is it does not seek its own. Other translations talk about love does not parade itself. And we're very watchful in church that nothing happens 
to draw attention to anybody but Jesus. And that whatever happens is for the profit of all. And you, you can check your heart in this. Somebody says, well, I, I just got to dance. I've seen everything in church. I have seen everything in church. I've seen people walk in the back of the room and they've got big flags with them and they've got horns. And I always laughed as a kid when people would bring their own tambourine. It's like, you know, we have a band, right? I mean, they've been practicing too. <laughs> so you can't just bring your own instrument and play from the congregation. Say somebody wants to dance. Say somebody wants to wave a flag. Okay, wonderful. Well, we've got space right back here in the back. No, no, no. I need to be in the front. Really? Why? Well, that's just where I need... Why? Is it for the profit of you? What is it that's about to happen that's going to be a blessing to everybody in the room? For the profit of all. I have to check my heart in this. I don't ever stand in this place and do something so that I'm seen. We check our hearts about this all the time. Should you be checking your heart? Absolutely. Because you have a grace. You have a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Ghost. But it's not just for your benefit. Who's it for? The profit of all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.